Well, welcome back to the golf club, and it's our pleasure to be joined by 2008 Masters champion, broadcaster on the Golf Channel and CBS, Trevor Immelman. Trevor, how are you? Hey, great to join you. I'm doing well, thank you. So, Trevor, before we get started about the tournament you were at last weekend, I got to know, just because I'm a golf nut, what what was 2008 like? I mean, that that <laughs> just w- winning the winning the Masters. I've never been there. It's one of my bucket list items to go there. But mm. t- take me through that that whole week. Well, I, you know, it sounds so cliched. I'm not a huge fan of cliches, but to, you know, when you say it's a dream come true, uh, that's exactly what it was. And I was, you know, a young kid growing up in South Africa in Cape Town, uh, picked up the game at age of five, and just fell in love with golf. And first time I watched the Masters was on television late at night in South Africa because of the time change in 1986 and that was one of the most famous masters tournaments where jack is is a 46 year old you know shoots that 65 on the sunday to win his sixth green jacket and i was just in awe of the game of golf the masters all these great champions that uh, have played so well there over the years and you fast forward to 2008 and I'm walking up that 18th fairway with a three-shot lead over Tiger Woods, and I'm about to realize this dream. And uh, you know, all of those memories of, of of the years of the work and of the enjoyment of practicing and competing, just flooding through me as I'm walking up to that 18th green, and uh, and then tapping in that final putt and putting on the green jacket. It's uh, it's exactly like I said. It's dream come true of this little kid growing up in South Africa, just uh, wanting to be on that stage to have an opportunity to win. So, it, you know, to this day, and we're, let's just think, what are we, 12 years later now? Uh, I don't think a day goes by where somehow I'm not reminded of it, whether it be through somebody asking for an autograph or somebody mailing me a master's flag to sign for them or even something like this, like you asking me about it. It's, uh, it's really, uh, was a life-changing moment and something that uh, I'm extremely thankful for and proud of. So, so that, that week, um, you go in, did you feel like your game was right where it needed to be to, to win this tournament? Well, I will say this. In, in 2005, six and seven, I'd started coming through as a player that had some potential, uh, you know, I was winning tournaments all over the world and in the top 50 in the world, in the top 20 in the world. And so I was there and thereabouts. Look, though, if, if we go back to that time, that was right in Tiger Woods's heyday. And so right. not many people were beating him. He was pretty much destroying us every week that he played. And so we looked at it differently. Nowadays, we go to a major or a big tournament, and I can give you 20 guys that could win. Back right. then, that wasn't the case. You had Tiger Woods, and then really that was about it. Everyone was kind of wondering how many he would win by. Um, but, you know, my game was, in, in, in years prior, like starting to get better and better and better. In '05, I was in uh, the second-to-last group on Sunday, at the Masters. So I got a feel for what it was like, the emotion, the the energy of the crowd, how the golf course changes late on a Sunday afternoon. And so I'd started garnering some uh, experience in, in those type of uh, high-pressure moments. 
And, uh, yeah, my game was rounding into shape and uh, got to Augusta and was working on, on my putting. I was hitting the ball really well. I just needed to find a way to get comfortable on the greens there. And Thursday morning, went out and, and shot two under 34 on the front nine. And I was just away from there. I, I built up some confidence. I started trusting what I was doing on the greens and, uh, and then just kept it rolling somehow and uh, led from start to finish. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Trevor Moon's our guest here on the golf club. So I have two questions post-win. Mm. What is it like after you win the Masters? I know you're going Butler Cabin, and who, yeah. who, who won in 2007? Who put the green jacket on you? Zach Johnson. Zach Johnson puts the green jacket on you, and then take me through what goes on after that. Like how, how much of a whirlwind is it the rest of the night? Oh, it's crazy. Well, from the minute you, you sign your scorecard, you get whisked off to Butler Cabin to do the, the um, presentation on TV with the chairman and with uh, the previous champion and Jim Nance. And that happens in, you know, 10 or 15 um, minute period. And then you go out onto the putting green for the official prize giving and ceremony with all the VIPs and dignitaries and, uh, and all that kind of thing. Uh, and the patrons that have remained there that want to see the prize giving. Uh, that takes probably 45 minutes to an hour, and then you go do the media. And so by now, you're looking at about 9 p.m., probably in the media center for about an hour, uh, get all of that stuff uh, squared away. You know, you do the, the, the one-on-ones with ESPN or with Golf Channel and those kinds of things. And then right after that, you actually go and have dinner with the members. Wow. And it, it's, an, it's an amazing period. I remember walking into the room, um, room filled with members. Members are wearing their green jackets, their wives and families. Uh, with and I was with my family. I'm wearing the green jacket, and I've still got my golf shoes and my spikes on. In those days, I was wearing <laughs> spikes, and it's uh, you know 10:30 at night. Uh, but it's an amazing moment because uh, the members just welcome you um, as as one of their own. Really, uh, they they so. That tournament means so much to them, and it's a really great moment to start to meet and get to know uh, the people that, that make that club run, and it's, it's a lot of fun. And so we left there pretty close to midnight on that Sunday night and then headed back to the place where we were staying, and uh, the festivities continued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, so do you get to keep the green jacket for good, or do you have to return it the following year, or how does that work? Well, uh, you keep it the year that you're champion, okay. and you take it wherever you want to take it and show it off and, uh, you know, all that kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. I took it all over the world. I took it to South Africa. I took it to Japan, China, um, and uh, so that's a lot of fun. For people who are golf fans and fanatics who know the Masters and who know the green jacket, uh, for them to have an opportunity to, to see it, touch it, and feel it, maybe even put it on, it's really special. I remember this time in Japan, um, meeting some people, had the green jacket with me. They asked if they could see it, and I showed it to them, and they started crying. Wow. I mean, they couldn't even believe that, that they were in a position to, to, to be holding the green jacket and trying it on, and you just really start to see how much that tournament means to people that are golf fans. Uh, so you keep it the year that you're, you're the champion. And uh, then after that, it uh, stays at the club in your locker, and uh, you always try it on when you get on site. 
Uh, that's great. And one more story about one more question about Augusta. How cool is the Champions Dinner, and what did you serve the next year? Yeah, it's uh, an amazing evening to be in a room with with you know champions like that. For me personally, when when I was growing up, like I touched on earlier. Uh, you know, those were the, the guys that uh, I would always pretend to be when I was practicing when I was a little kid and hoping to have the opportunity to, to meet them and play with them and play in those kinds of tournaments. So for me to sit in a room like that and you look around over the years, and you, you know, you see Arnold Palmer, you see Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods and Watson and Gary Player, and the list goes on and on and on, Ray Floyd. It, it's, 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 it's really amazing, you know kind of have to pinch yourself during the night to make sure you're not dreaming. Uh, everybody is really thrilled to be there and enjoying the moment. It's probably about a two to three hour process from start to finish and everybody's really relaxed and calm and, and enjoying it. Um, just just being together, telling stories of you know the old days and when they won what they did and having a laugh, catching up with everybody about their families and their careers. So it's, it's really, really cool. Uh, I served some South African dishes uh, called baburti. Uh, I had a dessert called milk tart. And my goal was to just bring some South African culture and food uh, back to the champions dinner. Uh, of course, Gary Player won the Masters three times. Right. Uh, and the last time that he won was 1978. So when I won in 2008, that was a 30-year difference uh, for a South African winning. So... I wanted to bring some South African cuisine back to the champions uh, dinner and it worked well. I was really happy with the way it went down. I was a little nervous. Obviously, you know, you, you uh, providing a meal for these great champs that I've always held in such high esteem. And so I wanted it to go well. And thankfully it did. Great stories. Great stories. We're uh, joined by Trevor Roman here on the golf club and Trevor, let's talk about now uh, the tournament you were at over the weekend, the rocket mortgage where uh, Bryson DeChambeau, who obviously has been, I think, the most popular golfer since the restart of golf, yep. um, goes out and wins and kind of dominates on Sunday. And you know, he's he. I think he's since the since we restarted, he's had the lower the lowest score to par on the tour. Yep. Can, can you explain w- what he is doing to the golf ball right now? You know, I haven't seen it something like this in my career and in all my. Uh, studying of the professional game. You know, we've had players that have made big changes and advancements in hitting the ball a long way or increasing their driving distance. But this jump that Bryson has made in this six six or seven-month period, uh, I can't remember ever seeing something like this. It's very, very impressive. And it's such a huge weapon because... Not only has he picked up this distance, but he really hasn't lost much accuracy. And so when a guy can have that much faith in the fact that he can keep it in play and be hitting the ball between 330 and 370 yards off the tee, it's a massive advantage. And you just look at Sunday. He's starting the day three shots back. The first hole is a 400-yard par four. Uh, at Detroit Golf Club, and he drives it right next to the green and gets up and down, makes birdie on the first hole. And within six or seven holes, he went from three behind to three ahead Crazy. and just changed the the whole momentum of the tournament right there. 
And, uh, you know, he, he stumbled a little bit there on 14, uh, on the second nine. Uh, but then because of this distance, he gets to 16, which is a long par four, and he drives drives at 340, 350 yards. He flicks a little sandwich in there and makes a birdie. The 17th hole is a par five that's almost 600 yards long. He hits a driver and an eight iron, albeit out of the rough, with a little bit of a flyer, but still he hits an eight iron in there to 15 or 20 feet, two putts for birdie. That's two birdies in a row. And then uh, with you know Wolf breathing down his neck after birding 17, Bryson stands up on a 450-yard par 4 18th hole, difficult driving hole, and he thread one, threads one down there, 360, 370, and just hits a sandwich in to two feet and makes birdie. So three birdies to finish, and very difficult to do if you're not driving it that far. And so it's really quite impressive. Uh, for me, if he finds a way to just slightly improve his wedge play, He's going to be a serious handful for, uh, you know, these other guys that are at the top of the world rankings. You think about the Thomases and the Dustin Johnsons and McElroys and Roms. If uh, if he finds a way to just tighten up that wedge play a little bit, because he's proved now that he's one of the best putters in the game. He's hitting it further than anybody. He's hitting it as straight as any other long driver out there on tour. Uh, he's he's going to give these guys a real headache here in, uh, in the next year or two. He, he, it's almost like he's playing a different game. It's crazy to watch him. I agree. And so I have one question for you about what went on, what went on Sunday, or I think it was Saturday maybe. I, can't, I think it was Saturday. I don't remember the day, but he uh, he was upset with a cameraman who was shooting him for too long. And obviously with no fans, cameraman maybe don't have as much to shoot, so they were sh- shooting him going off the green to the next tee box. Um, valid or not, or is it just, you know, right now everything is so crazy with the way things are going, it just is a one-time thing and forget about it. You know, I would I would forget about it. I don't think the cameraman was doing anything wrong. Uh, the camera operator is there to do his job and, and uh, doing it very well, I might add, when you consider the fact that it's 90 degrees. Yeah. He's, lug- he's lugging all this equipment right. around. He's wearing a mask to make sure that everybody's safe. You know, he's grinding so hard to, to do his job to the best of his ability. So I don't think that he's really done anything wrong. But what happens often in sports, and we've seen this through the years, you know, it, it's, it's when it means a lot to an athlete, uh, it's, it can be a tense situation. Emotions are running high, uh, and you want to do well. You've, you've made sacrifices. You've trained as hard as what you can, and you want to now prove to everybody and yourself that you've got what it takes to get it done. And a lot of times, emotions run high, and sometimes you do stuff that you – may regret or that can be looked on as silly, uh, you know, in, in, in moments after. But it's just one of those things that happens. Um, I don't think Bryson has a mean bone in his body or, or means any malice toward anybody. I just think it's one of those moments where emotions are running high and, uh, you know, you, you, you do what you feel is right in the moment, even though it might not be. I, I just don't think it's... Uh, something that needs to linger um, for too much longer. I think uh, he'll learn from that experience and uh, put that experience to good measure in future. Uh, so I have to ask you about announcement that's being made probably this morning, or it was, it was Bob Herrick had it yesterday on ESPN, that there will be no 
Ryder Cup this year. I know you play. You probably played in some Presidents Cups, but yep. Um, and you, you have to cancel it, right? If there's no fans, is it? I mean, you you know, when you're playing the Presidents Cup, if you didn't do that with with if you had no fans, would that be like kind of defeat the purpose in a little bit? Well, I guess there's two ways to look at it. Uh, obviously, that you know what the world is going through right now is just so crazy. None of us would have ever dreamt, you know of the fact that we've had to go through this and, and stay indoors and uh, really try and find a way to fight this virus and make sure we get through it without uh, too much damage, although it's already uh, you know taken so many lives around the world. It's extremely sad. Uh, but So there's two ways to look at it. You know, Do the players want to go out and compete in order for fans to watch it on TV? and have that enjoyment and that distraction to be able to still watch an event that they love in the Ryder Cup? Or is it better to wait uh, until fans can go and we can have the same images and the same sound and the same uh, enjoyment uh, from having fans on site watching a great spectacle in the Ryder Cup? I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think that... uh, the powers that be, the governing bodies in golf have decided that this is the way to go. And uh, you just got to trust them and believe that they've got all the information at their fingertips and they're making the best decision possible. So either way, I think, you know, 2020 has been such a really weird year that's caught us all off guard that, um, you know, there's no right or wrong. I think we're just rolling with it and, and, and trying to do as well as we can. And uh, hopefully are able to get through this period and uh, we can get back to some kind of normalcy and start to see all of these events with fans back out cheering on their favorite teams and athletes and players. Uh, hopefully that happens really soon. Uh, before I let you go, how are you doing? Uh, you know, you were, were you were at, you were at the course last week, right? Yeah. How, how difficult, how weird is it broadcasting with no fans there and how different is it broadcasting just during a, a pandemic? Yeah, it's very different, very different. And uh, i got to say, CBS Sports has done an amazing job in this return to golf uh, protocols that they've put in place for everybody that works for them really has been fantastic uh, and something that I'm uh, proud to be a part of. Uh, But it's been different for sure. You know, it feels more like you're at a junior, like I'm out watching my son at a junior tournament. You just got a lot of golfers out on the golf course with nobody watching them. And uh, there's a part of it, too, that is fun to see, though, because, you know, like I touched on with Bryson earlier and how much it means to a player because they've worked so hard and these are the dreams they've had. You get to see a little bit of that by watching these players because you understand that they are the best players in the world. They're playing on the PGA Tour, and you see them make a five- or six-footer to save par, and they're fist-pumping to themselves. And you start to see um, you know, that enjoyment that they get from competing uh, and when they've achieved something that, that uh, they enjoy doing and something they've set their mind to. So that part of it, I think, is cool to see as well. Uh, but there's no doubt. The sooner we can get our fans back, to all of these sporting events, enjoying uh, watching these players and cheering them on and having fun. It's a, it's a great release for everybody to be able to get out there and do stuff like that. So um, hopefully that can happen sooner rather than later. He has 14 wins worldwide, including the 2008 Masters. Trevor Immelman, thanks so much for joining us on the golf club. All right. Have a good one.